because of a, a lengthier passage of Scripture to create a context for us today, we're not going to read it while we stand, but we just honor the Word of God. It's a privilege for us to have the Word of God and make it available to us. And so we, um, we do this because it's historical, it's a, it's a precedent that's been taught to us in the Scriptures, as well as our spiritual forefathers in Pentecostalism. We stand in honor of the reading of your Word, of the Word of God. Let's pray that God opens our heart. The Bible says the word of faith, Romans 10, is nigh thee. It's in thy heart and in thy mouth. The word of faith comes by hearing the word of God. Because by hearing the word, then faith is released and created in our hearts. And I just believe that as you hear this word today, that it's going to create faith in your heart. The same way that fuel and fire in an engine combustion takes place and power is released and I just believe that's what's going to take place in our lives by the hearing of the word of God today father in heaven we thank you for the word in advance God thank you for the privilege of preaching thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to share I ask today father in the name of Jesus that you would quicken this word in our hearts and in our minds let us hear today what the Spirit would say to the church. Let nothing hinder in the people or in me, Father, that would rob you of the opportunity that you desire to bless your people with the goodness of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said, amen. Today you can turn with me to the book of Acts, the third chapter. It's a familiar passage of scripture to us. I believe, to many of us. And I, I want to recount this story and regather it and just kind of let it unfold. It's going to create the context of which I'd like to go into today. It's the third chapter of the book of Acts. The birth of the church has taken place through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We don't know, perhaps weeks and months have passed since that time. The church is aggressively doing what Jesus has said to do. And that is there being his witness. There being his witness in Jerusalem. And so as Peter and John are fulfilling their um, responsibilities as faithful Jewish men that are in Jerusalem at this time, the first verse of the third chapter unveils the story. It says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. I think it's a good thing when people have some measure of expectation towards what can happen through the hands of people there in the church. Now, their, his, their, his expectation was different than what Peter's response would be. But at least there should be some compelling force at work that says through the life of the church, there should be an expectation that's placed. So Peter and John was asked, he was asked for an alms. He asked an alms of them. And Peter, fourth verse, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Many of you could quote this very passage. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. 
And he leaping and stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now look at this. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple because he had laid there daily. They brought him daily to a strategic position at the temple to, uh, to, to require or to desire benevolence of those that were entering into the temple. And so, but it was with wonder and amazement that they possess now at what had happened unto, the, unto him. And as the lame man which was healed together held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. Now when Peter saw this, Peter saw this as an opportunity, and I believe that we should as well. Peter saw this as an opportunity to share with him, the, with the gathering multitude that is amazed at this miraculous incident that has taken place because all the people were familiar with this man. He's above, the Bible says, in the fourth chapter. This story will bleed over into the fourth chapter. He's older than 40 years of, of age, and he's accustomed, they're accustomed to seeing him at the temple, and they know this is not fabricated. This, he's not been laid there by the temple gate day after day, year after year, to just be staged to... Uh, to deceive the people. This is somebody they know and they're wondering what has brought about this miracle. So the apostle Peter sees this as an opportunity to preach Christ and him crucified. Right? What a powerful moment. And the ultimate conclusion of this passage is, uh, is that several thousand men, I believe 5,000 men respond to uh, hear, hearing the word and the confirmation of the gospel. Now, as Peter is preaching in verses 12 through 15, he, may, he, he arrives at a conclusion because he can see through the amazement of the people that they're looking at Peter and John in wonderment, thinking that they had a, a certain power source to be able to heal. And, and Peter wants to defer that power source to the actual right place, 16th verse. And his name... Because he said that in the 12th verse. He said, why look so earnestly on us as though we by our own power or holiness have made this man to walk? 16th verse. Here's the reason why this man is walking. His name, the name of Jesus, through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Peter continues to preach Christ crucified. The Holy Spirit is at work convicting the hearts of those that are listening. And this movement creates a response from the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the very people that tried Jesus now see some of the disciples of Jesus and they see the crowd and so they come in, they lay hands on them, the third verse, and they take them into the hold uh, until the next day and then they have a brief trial. So now the apostle Peter goes from being in the, the court area or the, at the gate preaching to the people and now he's brought into this, uh, this, this brief trial, the, almost the way that Jesus was brought before the, the Sanhedrin for a brief trial. It's the very same people. Look at the fourth chapter in the sixth verse. It's Annas, the high priest. It's Caiaphas. It's John. It's Alexander. It's many of the kindred of the high priest. They're very familiar. Jesus had set the whole city and nation in an uproar. The nation was in an uproar when he came down the Mount of Olives, that triumphal entry, the whole nation. And, and ultimately it was so tumultuous there that they seized the opportunity and and captured him and eventually falsely accused him and he was crucified. But Peter is affirming that the 
one that you and your wicked hands have taken and murdered. God has brought him back to life, raised him from the dead, and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so he's preaching in this name. And so they ask him, by what power or by what name you have done this? And so now look at the 8th verse, 4th chapter. Peter is filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel... If we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he is made whole, I'm telling you, Peter is willing to just simply lay it all on the line and say, by this reason right here, be it known to you, 10th verse, be it known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven whereby given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now look at the next few verses just real quickly, and that will conclude the reading of Scripture. Now when they, that group of the Sanhedrin council with the high priest, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, unlearned according to their schools of theology. They hadn't gone to the schools in Jerusalem, the Pharisaical schools, but rather they had spent the last three and a half years walking alongside the truth. Come on, somebody. They walked with him. Peter said, our hands have handled the word of life. And so they perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they marveled and took knowledge of them because they had been with Jesus. And so now look at this. Here's what I want you to see, 14th verse. And beholding the man which was healed against, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. They could not, uh, they couldn't hide it because they, they knew this man themselves. They were familiar with this man because he had been laid at the gate for many, many years. And notice of their own words. They, they conferred amongst themselves, 15th verse. 16th verse, they said, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them in the manifest, and is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And notice this, look at this. And we cannot deny it. We cannot deny this. And then if we were to jump down just a little bit more, just to, to capture the, the, the context, it says in the 22nd verse here, this man was 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. It's a notable miracle. The 16th verse, it's a notable miracle. And that captured my attention, this notable miracle that's recorded in the Word of God. I want to just kind of do some summarizing for just a moment, and we're going to arrive at certain conclusions. This miracle, because of the familiarity with all the multitude, and not only all the multitude, but then the religious leaders as well, when the miracle occurred in a man that had been crippled uh, since birth is now running and leaping and dancing and praising God, then everybody is recognizing that this is a genuine thing. It's not something that's been fabricated. They know that this... Now, whether or not they chose to support it and acknowledge the authority by which the name had... of the, the authority of the name that had created the miracle, some chose not to. But they could not deny the authenticity of it because they knew that man. I tell you, I just believe that we need to see in the church notable miracles. Come on. Not fabricated, not evangelized, not created through the lens of a camera, but I'm talking about brokenness, sickness, disease, difficult situations 
that have been miraculously healed by the power of God to that those that are in the immediate vicinity of the miracle cannot deny it, that they have to acknowledge that that's the mighty hand of God. Now, in this very quickly, I want us to consider the miracles of God for just a few moments. This miracle to establish the foundation was not the first miracle of the New Testament church era. I believe that the first miracle of the New Testament church era was the coming of the Spirit. I believe the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues is a miracle before God. To be able to commune with him in a language that I have not learned, the language of my nativity, to be able to commune and be in the spirit, that's a miracle of God. But in the 43rd verse of the second chapter of the book of Acts, the apostle concurs here, Luke says, that many wonders and signs were done by the apostle. So this is not the first miracle, but it is a notable miracle. And if you study the book of Acts and the New Testament, you will recognize that many miraculous incidents occurred, oftentimes in involving especially three uh, very particular ministries, the ministry of the apostle, the ministry of the prophet, and the ministry of the evangelist. And it's been my observation that many times miracles and gifts of healings are more prominent in itinerating ministries such as the evangelist. I believe in miracles today, don't you? I believe that God has set them in the church. 1 Corinthians 12 says they are set in the church. They should be in the live stream of the church, the local body of Christ. And so in this context, we see and we know that these miracles are often associated with itinerating ministries. And let me say this about pastors for just a moment in defense of pastors because pastors are married to the flock of God, if you can use that language and understand it. We are shepherds. And we are teachers and everything, I'm going to be honest with you today, everything that we are involved in is not necessarily miraculous. Here's a little brief uh, look into my week. Two staff meetings to discuss this service and plan ministries. Discussed, uh, uh, I have to just be honest, I discussed Christmas decor. I know that sounds very spiritual. That's just where I was at. I visited the nursing home, called people in the hospital. I went and watched a basketball game of a member of our church's son who was playing basketball. I went through a wedding rehearsal, and then I did a wedding uh, on Friday night. And so everything that I'm involved in is not necessarily miraculous. But let me say this. Paul told Timothy, who was functioning in the office of a pastor, he said this, you should do the work of an evangelist as well. So just because we're pastoral, just because we're shepherds just because we're teachers does not mean that we should not expect that the miraculous would flow through us and into the live stream of our local body come on somebody Now, as a pastor who teaches the flock, let me tell you, I believe in the gift of teaching. I believe that teaching preludes faith. It precludes faith. As you you think and ponder and hear the word of God, it builds faith in your heart. One of the things that I most serious about is I know that I'm going to stand before God one day and I'm going to give account of the doctrine that I preach to the listening audience that sits in front of me both in this pulpit and in everyday life and I want to make sure that I'm giving you sound and accurate doctrine. I do not want you to stumble in error because of something that I've said or a teaching that I taught or a word that I gave you that is not deeply rooted in the scriptures, right? I I mean that with all of my heart. And so before I make the next few statements, I want to make sure I have to ask myself these questions. I have to search in my own heart. 
And that is, do I believe in God's miraculous ability to do a miracle? And do I believe in God's desire to give you a miracle? And so I have to search the scriptures and arrive at conclusions. Some search the scriptures and they arrive at different conclusions. Some say, Pastor, if you preach that God does does miracles in today's culture, then you're creating a false expectation and you're giving people false hope. I don't believe that with all of my heart. I want to just arrive at that conclusion today. Here's my conclusion. I believe in God's ability and desire to give you a miracle. I believe that with God all things are possible to him that will believe. I believe that the arm of the Lord is not shortened and the ear of the Lord is not deafened. I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe in his strength and his power. And rather, I believe that it would be more in error for me to stand in this pulpit today and give you no hope. Rather, I want you to have searched the scriptures yourself till you live every day of your life, even in the midst of your crisis, with the hope that at one moment and in one instant of time, all the pain and the sorrow of that travail can be passed away by the miraculous power of God being revealed in your life. Glory to God. That's what I believe. Now, but I want to forewarn you, many even in the church today do not believe in God's miraculous power. Some are what's called cessationists. They believe the gifts of God, including the miracles, ceased with the death of the last apostle and the coming of the canon of Scripture. And here is my uneducated response, and that is miracles did not begin in the gospel era. They did not begin in the apostolic era so therefore, why would we conclude that they would cease there? Scriptures can, uh, scripture reveals from Genesis to Revelation that God is a miraculous God. There are accounts all throughout the Word of God, of God. Matter of fact, 2 Chronicles 16 and 9, I love that verse of Scripture, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro in all the earth, searching for somebody that he can make his, his power known unto them. I pray that in my prayer, and I say, Oh God, let your eyes stop right here, 1009 West Searcy Street, where men and women have gone before me and laid a foundation so that we could be the generation that receives the mighty power of God. So I know even in Jesus' own life, when he did miracles, not everyone responded to that sign and wonder and believed. Some saw his miracles and said it was of Satan. Ascribed them as the power of Beelzebub. But notice this, their unbelief did not change the scriptural record. Just because somebody doesn't believe doesn't mean that that's going to actually change the reality of what's taking place. I love what the Apostle Paul said because as Paul is preaching, now oddly enough, he's at Caesarea, he's in prison for preaching the gospel, he's en route to Rome, but he's being tried once again before Felix as well as uh, the accusers that came from Jerusalem. And he makes a statement, listen to this, because he makes it out of the root of the knowledge that he possesses of Judaism and the history of the people of Israel. And he, he asked them a question. He said, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God... God should raise the dead. Now, again, it was because of the preaching of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he was put in prison. And he's looking at them and he's saying, why do you think it a thing incredible to God who is the creator, he is Elohim, he stands over his creation. Why should we as Israelites who know the word, we know our history, we know where we came from, why should we think it and be incredible that God could raise the dead? 
Because if God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life uh, and man came out of the red clay earth and God called him Adam and put him in a garden to live and breathe and to function, then why couldn't God take the lifeless body of the Lord Jesus Christ? And after three days, the very Spirit of God that had given life in the genesis of time one more time entered into the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and caused the very power of God to sweep into that body and Jesus' lifeless body raised up off of that cold heart stone. I don't know. Why would we think that incredible? So I want to talk to you about miracles for just a moment because I want you and I to believe that if God is the creator who transcends and supersedes the creation, why does he not have power to display a miracle that transcends and supersedes the creation? You say, Pastor, well then define for me what is a miracle. Ada Habershon, in a, she's a writer from, from England in the late 1800s. In her book, The Study of Miracles, gave the following definitions. She said, it's an, a miracle is an act beyond human power. A miracle is an occasional, listen to this, a visible act of power beyond human experience to account for or of human faculties to accomplish, though sometimes wrought through human agency. I know it makes some of you nervous, but sometimes God performs miracles through the lives of others. They become the conduit of that blessing. Some people say they believe in miracles, but think that all miracles just fall out of heaven. God has chosen people and put gifts and callings, workings of miracles in their lives to edify and strengthen the body. So sometimes they're wrought through human agency. Sometimes are something that we do not understand because it transcends our experience. And that's where many stumble right there. Because it transcends, we're not used to it. It's beyond our normal experiences. It lies beyond the scope of the laws of nature that have been ascertained to us. And, and lastly, a deviation from the known laws of nature. So I took her four definitions and concluded them in a brief definition in, in language that I could grasp. A miracle would be something of divine force or divine power that is beyond the normal order of nature or the normal order of man to produce it. That would be a miracle. A miracle of God. I believe in miracles, to, don't you, church family? I believe in them. And if you're ever in need... You may not believe in one, but you'll sure be hoping for one. So I would rather put myself in a place where I begin to stimulate my faith and say, God, what I have seen you do in your word, Father, if you're not a respecter of persons, if you did for one, if I believe you'll do for me as well. So I want to put you in that mindset today for just a few minutes of time. I want you to journey with me through the scriptures. It's an overview. It's a brief course that we're just going to journey down the times of scripture where we see miracles unfolding in front of our eyes that it might stimulate faith in our heart and mind. I do believe that miracles are in the word of God from Genesis all the way through the Revelation. I believe it is our responsibility to study, to, uh, to, to understand these things so that it creates faith in our heart and life. All miracles are not the same. They're not all gifts of healing. The one we read about there in Acts 3 and 4 was called a miracle of healing upon a lame man. But, you know, in the book of Genesis, it was Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was past 90 of age, 99 years of age. He was become impotent and stable. 
sterile. He had no life in his loins and his wife's womb was dried and withered away. But God had promised him a word 25 years earlier. And in his unbelief when he was 86, he stumbled through the tent of Hagar and he produced a child. But, but the Bible says that God confirmed that that was not the seed of promise. And even though Sarah laughed, I want you to know that God spoke a word that created life in her womb and brought the loins of Abraham back to life. And so she did rejoice and she brought forth a bouncing baby boy when she was 90 years of age because God had said with God all things are possible. So let's stop laughing inside or outside. Let's say God can do all those things because he's just that kind of God. And when I began to study the scriptures, I see that when God brought the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, he met a man by the name of Moses, 80 years of age, uh, who was secluded to the backside of the Sinai wilderness, keeping his father-in-law sheep. When a bush began to burn but was not consumed, and when Moses drew near to that bush, he heard the audible voice of God speaking to him, saying, Moses, take off the shoes of your feet because the ground upon which you are standing is holy ground. And it was the confirmation of signs and wonders and miracles that Moses, the man of God, was promised that he would lead Israel out of 400 years of Egyptian bondage. Moses said, how are we going to break the power of the staff of Egypt? God said, take that rod that's in your hand, cast it on the ground, and it became a snake. Moses then put his hand, caught it by the tail. Moses was the first snake handler in the church, and he caught it by the tail, and it became a rod again. He took his leprous hand, put it inside, or put his hand in his, uh, his garment, it became leprous. When he took it out, he put it back in, it became white as snow when he uh, pulled it back out. And God said, with signs and wonders like that, I'm going to break the staff of Egypt and the promise that I made to Abraham 400 years earlier, I will bring my children out with supernatural signs by the word of God. Search the scripture. God did so and brought judgment upon Egypt. A Red Sea parted by an east wind until the Israelites walked over uh, through the sea on dry ground, but the waters fell back and consumed their enemies in the Red Sea. Throughout the Israelite journeys in the wilderness, there was a time they didn't have any water. Moses had a rock there. He took his rod, he smote the rock, the rock and when he did, water flowed out and watered two million men and women in a dry and a thirsty land. They were hungry. God opened heaven and gave them manna from heaven. They wanted meat. God sent quail from the sea. How many of you know quail don't live over the sea? God brought them from over the sea to provide and to meet their need. In the, in, the, in the heat of the desert sun, God gave them a cloud by day. In the cold of the desert night, God gave them fire by night until he brought them out. And God said this, there was no want, no feeble one among them. Arthritic limbs were made whole. Crippled backs were made straight. God was bringing his children out and bringing them in to his eternal promises. Their feet didn't swell. Their clothes didn't wear away during that time. And and the Bible also says that the spirit of prophecy fell on 70 of them and took the anointing that was on Moses and divided it among 70 men and the spirit of prophecy is in the camp. That's miracles in the eyes of God and should be in the eyes of the church. When I read the scriptures, I find as well the Jordan River after the death of Moses and Joshua is the new leader when the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant put their feet in the running, swirling waters of Jordan at flood stage. The waters heaped back on the left and the right hand, allowing them to enter the promised land on dry ground. They were confronted by the great walled city of Jericho and with the breath of God, the walls fell flat and they took the city. The Bible says that during that time, the exodus and during the conquest of the land of Israel that the enemy could not stand before them. 
couldn't stand. didn't matter if the enemy outnumbered them. He didn't outnumber God. You may be in an adverse situation in your life right now and everything around you seems to be a greater in might and power and you seem so small in your own eyes. Let me tell you, if you'll just put your faith and trust in God, God will make a way for you. I believe that with all my heart. The Bible says that God would send a hornet to drive out the enemy. A lot of people have never seen that. And that's why when you read about some of those accounts of conflict during that time period, the enemy would be found having run through the land, taking his armor off and killing one another is because in the night watches God would wake it uh, swarms of wasps and hornets out of everywhere and they came and ambushed the enemy that outnumbered Israel until they turned their swords on each other and God would, I'm telling you we serve a mighty God today church family we need to see that the miracles of God have always been and always will be as long as we believe Gideon was called and confirmed by a miraculous sign. You can't study the scriptures and not think of the miraculous power of Samson. Great exploits. Samson, whose physical stature probably looked like mine. I'm not for sure if he was ruggedly handsome as I am. However, it was the power of God that came upon him. He didn't look like the bodybuilders that we see today because that would be natural force, natural strength. He was just like any other man except for he had the anointing of God upon him, the miraculous power of God. David killed a lion and a bear. Saul prophesied in the midst of the prophets. Elijah's prayer controlled the weather, changed the climate and the environment of Israel. Israel for three and a half years. Elijah didn't have a place to be fed. God brought ravens. God can meet your need. Come on, for three and a half years, a meal barrel did not waste away and a cruise of oil did not run dry. The Bible tells us that during Elijah's ministry, a Gentile woman's son was raised from the dead. And lastly, the Bible says that a chariot of fire took Elijah into the heavens. That's a miracle as far as I'm concerned. And when Elijah was caught up into heaven, he sent the mantle. He dropped the mantle of his anointing and his associate in ministry, Elisha, caught it, caught the mantle, walked over to the Jordan River, and he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he took that rolled up mantle and smote the Jordan River and the Jordan River backed up and the man of God crossed over on dry, on dry ground to declare the power of God. Had not gone to heaven when Elijah had gone, but the power of God was still. Somebody needs to get a hold of that today. The power of God didn't just go to heaven when Jesus went to heaven. The power of God is still in the church today if we'll believe it. Glory to God. I love the ministry of Elisha because it is a miracle-filled ministry. Waters of Jordan roll back. A widow's need is met when the creditors are coming to take her children. Have you ever been in a plight like that? Come on, are y'all with me? God can make a way. He can. God can do a financial miracle. A well of water was healed. Deadly pottage was healed. The food was multiplied. A Shunammite woman's son was raised from the dead. An axe head floated. Angels surrounded the man of God. Syria's army was blinded. Naaman dipped seven times in the Jordan River and his leprous skin came up white as snow. Glory to God. What's unique about Elisha's ministry, maybe some of you have never noticed this though, he asked for a double portion of the power of Elisha and the miracles of Elisha. And if you take a comparison, that Elisha was one miracle short of seeing an exact doubling of the miracles of Elijah. And Elisha died and was buried in death and decay and taken over and stripped all of the flesh off of his body. It's nothing but his bones in his sepulcher. And one day the Syrians have invaded the land and, and, and they 
they've got, a, uh, they've got uh, one of their own that's died, and they see an enemy coming up, and they don't know what to do, and they take this body, and they toss its body into the sepulcher, and it happened to be the sepulcher of Elisha, the man of God. And when that dead corpse hit the bones of Elijah, Elisha, God said, I'm going to bring that double portion to fruition. And that man leaped up on his feet and ran out of the sepulcher by the power of God. I want you to know God will fulfill his word if you'll believe the power of God. King Hezekiah was healed of a deadly disease when a lump of figs was placed upon him. Jonah was kept alive in the fish's belly. In a period of, if you just, I'm just taking you in an overview, and I understand that. I'm not going deep in the context of Acts 3 and 4, but I'm putting you in the broader application of that notable miracle today. A period of 400 years from the days of Malachi, prophetical silence was broken. Because I believe prophecy is a miracle. I do. I believe when God stirs somebody's spirit and they give a word from heaven, come on somebody, I believe that's miraculous. I really do with all my heart. It could change your life. Prophetical silence is broken when an angel appeared to an aged priest promising that his wife would bear a child in her old age. He would be great in the sight of the Lord. He would be called the prophet to the highest. He would go before the face of the Lord to prepare his face. And he would be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Even while in his mother's womb, John would leap inside at the salutation of Mary, a prophecy and a promise from God. You remember that story. It's in the Gospel of Luke. That same angel Gabriel will also sent to Mary, promising that she would conceive in her womb without knowing a man that she would receive by the power of God. And so jump forward 30 years later in time, that same John, the, the prophetical word had gone before concerning him, is now preaching along the banks of the river Jordan. As the swirling waters are flowing through his feet, the Bible says that he begins to preach because they're asking him, John, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? He said, I'm not the Christ. He said, there's one coming after me who is preferred before me. The latchet of whose shoes I'm not, unworthy, I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. He said, I baptize you with water, but he that cometh after me shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire whose fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly purge his floor. He will gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the tares uh, uh, and the chaff uh, in his furnace. Uh, and so as John is preaching and all the people are hearing about it and there's a moving, just like in this church right now, there's a moving in this church right now. There's a stirring in this church right now. The word is penetrating our hearts and minds. We're musing in our heart. What is God up to? What is God up to? And then finally one day John is baptized person after person, person after person, and then he looks up. He looks up, and coming down the banks of the Jordan River is a lone, solitary figure. This is he of whom I said, who is, uh, he said, he's after me, but he is preferred before me. This is the one that I saw by the Spirit. For the Spirit said unto me, John, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and lighting upon him, that's the one that's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John took him and baptized him in the Jordan River, and when he did, he came up out of the water, and the Spirit of God lit upon him and the heavens rolled back and God in an audible voice said these words, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Glory to God. And the Spirit of God 
drove Jesus into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted and tried of the devil and he overcame the devil. When he came back down out of the wilderness, he came down under the power of God after having fasted for 40 days and was with the wild beast. He died to the dictates and the appetites of his flesh. He went first to his hometown of Nazareth. He stood up there to read at the time to read. They gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He turned to what you and I would say is Isaiah 61 where the prophet foreseeing the coming of the Messiah had written these words. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He's anointed me to open the eyes of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus took that scroll, closed it back up, gave it to the attendant, and then he said, he said, let it be known to you and all those that are around that this day, this word is fulfilled in your ears. What he was saying is the miraculous power of God has rested upon my shoulders. He was Jesus who is the Christ, the anointed one. And thus that began the most prolific record of miracles that the world has ever known. Glory to God. The most prolific record. They drove him out of Nazareth and you know what he did? He went to Capernaum which is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee and in the midst of a synagogue service a devil that was inside of a man that came to church on a regular basis but that previously there had never been enough power in the church to agitate the devil out of his stronghold but now the power of God is represented in the person of Christ and that devil gets agitated and falls down and says Lord I know who you are you are the one that is are you come to torment us before our time I thought about that and I said you know so many Christians in our generation say God the devil is tormenting me we ought to have enough power of God on our lives trusting in the anointing of God that the devils are crying out to their Lord saying they're tormenting us by the power of God and Jesus delivered the man of that devil he then healed Peter's mother-in-law and then before the night was out they brought him all kinds of sick and diseased people and he began to heal them and you search the scriptures for three and a half years this record of miracles unfolds in front of our eyes. He turns water into wine. Come on, God can do all things. Bread and fish are multiplied. Twice Peter's fishing ministry, fishing business, gains a boost in a depressed economy. Come on. Cast your net on the right side of the ship. Come on, how many believe God can give you wisdom? Supernatural things can come together. Businesses that were once failing can come back to life. Are y'all hearing me? I'm talking about miracles of all shapes and sizes. The storm was stilled. He walked upon the water. The blind would receive their sight. Cripples and paralytics are healed. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf and the mute are healed. Devils are cast out. The dead are raised. Tax money. Come on, somebody. Am I the only one? Tax money can miraculously be supplied by the hand of God. And the greatest of all miracles, the miracle of salvation. Zacchaeus, Jesus went to his house and he was a covetous, greedy man. But when he sat in the presence of Christ, his heart melted and he began to give away his assets and his resources. All throughout the word of God, miracles of all types, worked in all different ways, worked upon all different types of people, young and old, male and female, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile. Let me say this again, God is not a respecter of persons. You say, Pastor, then what is the prerequisite? I believe the prerequisite is faith. 
Are y'all hearing me today? Faith. Jesus said this, fear not. Believe only. Jesus said this, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who will believe. With God, all things are possible. Jesus asked his disciples, where is your faith? When someone believed the word that he spoke, he said, great is your faith. Let's go a little further. Jesus said this, as you have believed, so be it done unto, unto you. When the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? I believe that Jesus taught us to believe in the Word of God. That's why as a pastor, I've carefully searched the Word of God, and I believe in my heart of hearts. I would be more in error if I stood in front of you and I read these great miracles of old, and I said that that was for a particular era and a particular generation, but God does not work that way in our generation. I believe I will have crippled you, bound you to the strength of the flesh only, and limited the hand of God. But I believe if I stand before you today and say that what we see in the Word of God, what we believe in our heart, God will work in our lives if we will but trust him. Do you believe that today? Just a couple more and I'm going to close just real quickly. Let me just kind of pull this all together. How many of you believe that Jesus taught us, taught his disciples, John 14 and 15 and 16, just in hours and, and days and hours before his death at the cross is really pouring his soul into his disciples and he teaches them. And listen what he said. He said, the works that I do, come on, shall you do also, and greater works than these. So now let's see if we can connect that. Days, weeks pass, perhaps even months. Jesus has died on the cross. He's raised from the dead. He's spent 40 days with his disciples, showing them the things and teaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. He ascends into heaven from the Mount of Olives. The disciples go to Jerusalem awaiting the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, changes the life of the disciples and all that early group of people there, 120 plus people that gather there praying. And the power of God is now at work. And I believe that as Peter is going up that temple that day and he's about to go into the gate called Beautiful and there sees that lame man. Surely in that moment, the Spirit of God quickened in his heart. And in his mind, when he saw him, he fixed his eyes on him. He looked. He looked at him. Surely in that moment of time, his heart remembers what Jesus said. The works that I do shall you do also. Are y'all with me today? Come on, somebody. Surely that was at work in his heart. What he had seen Jesus do for three and a half years, Jesus had promised. He said that, and greater works than he. Listen to what he said. If you ask anything in my name, that will I do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Darrell, I'm going to ask you to come back on the platform with me as we conclude. It says this here. The Bible says a notable miracle has been done, and no one can deny it. Do you need a miracle today? Do you need a miracle in your life of whatever type? I want to encourage you today. Ask that you might receive, that your joy might be full. I ask you today, will you believe? What is the prerequisite? Will you believe? Do you have faith to trust in God? Will you trust in Him and His Word? Don't speculate. Don't say, well, I know people that tried this and it didn't work. Don't listen to that unbelief. 
This is not about comparing things. This is about hearing the word, believing the word, and receiving God's power in your life. That's what this is about. Will you obey him? Will you follow through? You know, there were times... I preached last week, Jesus told those group of lepers, go show yourself to the priest. And when they turned to walk away, they were not healed. But somewhere between where they were standing and where they were going, the power of God came upon them. Will you obey him? What kind of miracle do you need in your life? Why should we limit God? It's not just a miracle of healing. We, we, I've, I've, I've just scanned the surface, very, t- very lightly touched the surface of a of a pantheon of miracles so it would reach you where you're at in your life so that you could say, you know what? I see that in the Word of God. Let me say this to you today. God is only limited by your unbelief. Are y'all here today? I tell you, we need a change in our Pentecostal charismatic churches. Come on, we've got to get back to the, the faith of our forefathers. You know, we, we, we think if we'll put fog machines and put the lighting and all that and, and, and then somehow that will, get, that will become like a miraculous thing. I'm not against all those things. Whatever kind of atmosphere we need to create for worship, that's fine. I'm for that. But, but, but I'm not looking for a fog coming out of a machine. I read a testimony years ago of the, of the police chief of, of Little Rock who was a spirit-filled believer Trusting God, he has, his daughter was cross-eyed. And he went to the Benny Hinn crusade. This is back in the 80s when he came to Little Rock. And he said while he was standing there worshiping God during the worship, he looked over at his daughter and her daughter had her glasses on and he looked at it and they were all fogged up. That's the kind of fog I'm looking for. Because when she took that those glasses off, her eyes were perfectly healed by the power of God. That's what we need notable. Come on. Miracles by the power of God. Notable, authenticated miracles. Not fabricated, not evangelized. Not something that's just at the aid of a teleprompter. So that even perhaps a tele-evangelist because there are some unscrupulous men that have hidden amongst the genuine. Come on, until there's a negative connotation to a healing evangelist again. And that's an error. We can't group everybody together. Come on. And so we've just got to arrive at the place where we say, God, the work of the church will be much more effective if we've got notable miracles in our midst. Come on, isn't that right? It makes preaching a lot easier. It makes testifying of the things of God a lot easier when we're seeing an authenticated miracle unfold in our, in our lives. People look at it and say, that had to be. Look at this man. They said, we cannot deny it. That's the type of miracle I'm, in looking, I'm looking for. So today, does your need demand it? Then here's my exhortation. Then pray for a miracle. Pray for a miracle. Because if you don't ask, you won't receive. Come on. Pray for a miracle that in the midst of that miracle, God will get the glory. I think first and foremost, God should get the glory in everything. I believe that. Number two, pray that your miracle will call people to Christ. That through the testimony that is revealed in your life, somebody will see it, cannot deny it, and it will open their heart to receive Christ as their Savior. That's what we're believing for. And lastly, even the unbelievers who don't believe, they at least still can't deny it because they'll say, I don't know what, how, but I just know it's real. So today I came to this house to encourage you, believe God for miracles. 
I want to ask you to stand up. We're going to pray again. We're going to come forward in just a moment together as a fellowship.